Every day we're hustling with the daily hustle. I don't have to pretend to be this version of myself. I can embrace the things that make me different. At our agency, we will create the best working environment. Filling six, seven, eight grand a year, year in, year out. There is something really magical about the power of saying yes. There's power in intentionality. Allow it to kind of happen to you or happen for you. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Daily Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Matt Daly, and I hope this show inspires you to be a better version of yourself in your personal and professional life. In addition to hosting this podcast, I'm also the CMO and co-founder of Circulate Digital, where we help e-commerce brands to drive customer acquisition and success online. Make sure you check us out at circulatedigital.com. Make sure you also show us some love by following us on our socials at Circulate Digital and The Daily Hustle Official. In this episode of The Daily Hustle, I spoke with Naraj Kapoor. Naraj is an industry-leading sales coach, and on top of this, he was noted as one of LinkedIn's top voices. So make sure you stay tuned to learn all about his methodology to sales and how you can implement this into your business and daily life. So without further ado, let's get started. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you give us a brief bit of information around your journey as a sales trainer and becoming a professional speaker? I spent 15 years in sales in central London. The first 10 years were the magazine industry. So the magazine industry, 90s, was one of the best places to be. That was where the, in the days you'd have three-hour lunches, shake somebody's hand. There was one decision maker, and it was brilliant. And then 2000s came along, and sadly the publishers... Book publishers were worse, but magazine publishers were terrible at adapting to the internet. They just all seemed to go into denial phase. I mean, we had one stage in our office, we had 20 sales reps sharing one internet explorer. <laughs> you oh my can't God. have that. You just can't have that. And that's what it was like. And they just weren't moving with the times. And of course, they got devoured. But luckily, when the bloodbath happened, uh, the Guardian newspaper group, a former manager who took care of me initially, was now working at the Guardian. And he was going to retire at age 35. He's a large ginger bloke from Yorkshire. And he now works on the beach. He's got a six-pack. You wouldn't recognize him if you saw him. I met him a couple of years ago thinking, wow, dude, you look great. And he goes, yeah, that's what I'm not working does to you. And he serves. Wow. Yeah, so he headhunted me for the Guardian. And I worked in newspapers and events. And again, newspapers was took a beating, but events were great. And I worked in events for many years doing future media events back in the days when really nobody knew what downloading was or social media was or really what Facebook was all about back in 2006, 2007. So I had a great success doing that and then lost my job in the recession in 2010, which broke my heart because it was the first time I lost a job. They lost a lot of money, the Guardian, a lot of money off the back of it. And it was one of those things, unfortunately, you have to go through hard times in life to come back stronger. And I had to go through that hard time, a few months of real indecision and insecurity and ego to discover personal development. All of a sudden, I started reading books for the first time in 20 years about sales and about myself. And I became self-aware. And all of a sudden, I started to improve so much. It was incredible. And all of a sudden, I started to attract better jobs. And my wife at the time, very smart woman, said, look, you got to stop being a salesperson. you got to become a manager. And so I went into management. 
and I thought, this is fantastic. I'm going to show people how to manage. And I was probably the worst manager. I was terrible. You know, you see, like, you watch a reality show on TV, and you think, I could do better than that. Same with management. Everybody thinks they can do better. I know. You try it. It's like, God, this is really difficult. And I hate it, and staff don't appreciate me. They're just a bunch of dicks. You know, and it, you don't understand how difficult it is, really. And then my boss said, look, you're a good guy, but you stink as a manager. He put me in a management course, and the personal development books meant I got better and better. I started reading business books as well, sales books. I got coached, and all of a sudden, I became a great manager. I call myself a player manager because I spent half my day selling to hit my target, yeah. half my day coaching others to success. But it was a coaching others to success that brought me tremendous joy, Matt. And it brought you into doing a lot of speaking as well. It did, because they put me in professional speaking courses. I had to go and do presentations to companies in the shipping industry. And the beautiful thing about shipping, it's got its drawbacks, of course, but the best thing about it was it was international. So I know how to sell in Shanghai, which, by the way, is so different to Seoul in South Korea, which is way different to New York, which is way different to LA, which is very different to Florida. So I got an opportunity to sell around the world. Wow. An amazing experience. I, got, I reached president clubs for the first time. I had six figures for the first time. I achieved my dreams. However, towards the end of my career in London, it all became about targets. Nobody really cared about the coaching except me, and I just wasn't enjoying it. And at the time, I was you know traveling three to four hours a day, away one week of the month. I just wasn't happy. And the last year or two, I really struggled to hold down jobs. I didn't know why. And the last boss I had was very good. He said, look, set your own business up. That way you won't annoy anybody ever again. <laughs> and it was actually really good advice. It didn't seem like good advice at the time. But I then set up my own business so I could teach people how to sell properly. Because most people, no matter where you are in the world, Matt, struggle with sales. They don't know how to sell. They talk too much. They're feature-driven. And they just don't understand selling. And for me, being a coach is like just a well-paid teacher. That's fantastic. And and since then, you've become one of LinkedIn's top voices. How's that impacted the way in which you connect with your audience, would you say? It has made a difference because the first few years on LinkedIn, 2018, 2019, 2020, I really struggled. In all fairness, I was selling a lot because like a lot of people, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah and back then, LinkedIn was kind of a, a more job platform. And I just wanted people to buy my books and to hire me for coaching. I did okay, but I wasn't doing great. And this went on for a long time. And then in 2019, 2020, I got divorced. And that was the most excruciating thing I'd ever experienced in my life. It was really just brutal. 21 years of marriage. And I started talking about that, but I didn't want to talk about it. So I was very hesitant about talking about it. But then when lockdown happened and my sales client said, hey, we have no money left. And I found myself living alone in a house in England with no one to talk to, no one to hang out with, in complete isolation. I started to suffer mental health challenges. I started to suffer health problems, big health problems, and loneliness. And I started writing about this. And all of a sudden, I started to gain followers. That was a big surprise. You can call it a bit of luck. You can call it what you like. But it was a big surprise. People started following me because men are not very good at talking about their feelings. But that's how I was feeling. And if I could have afforded therapy, I would have got therapy. But because I couldn't, I just put it on LinkedIn. And all of a sudden, I became this voice for other people who didn't have voices. Then when lockdown became so severe, I started to suffer really bad depression. I was diagnosed obese. For those listening, I'm not obese anymore, but I was at the time. I went from 14 to 18 and a half stone, wow. which was horrendous. And uh, my parents are both NHS workers their whole lives. They're now retired. But at the time, they said, look, 
more beastable. It's the most dangerous thing you can have. Come back home right now. I put everything in storage. They sent me a ticket for the ferry and I came back home to heal. And I spoke with my journey of shame and embarrassment and how awful I felt. And I was shocked at the thousands of people who then followed me and connected with me saying, thank you for sharing that. I've been where you've been. It'll get better. Or thank you for sharing that. I'm going through that right now. Or thank you for having a guest to talk about something that I want to talk about but can't. And that's how I became a LinkedIn top voice. Of course, I was selling advice on LinkedIn. I was talking a tremendous amount about charity work, which is very important to me. So they could see I was a good person. But ultimately, it was about how I was rebuilding my life, having had success. And I was starting right from the basics again. I guess it shows as well, though, that it's possible. It's very important. Everybody knows that. No matter how tough things get, yeah, you surround yourself with good people and you read books and you work on yourself, which not enough people do, and you try to improve and you get a coach. It is amazing what could be achieved. And a year later, I got a LinkedIn Top Voice Award. And that helped me in the sense that America, which had been ignoring me for many years, suddenly started listening to me as a yeah. business leader. You know, in shipping, Americans were fantastic because I'd fly over and see them. But as a business yeah. owner, I was surprised how few people actually care about you. <laughs> yeah. You don't have a big brand anymore. They just don't care. And so I've been knocking on the doors for years. So that was great in that sense. And anytime anybody wanted to work with me, they could always justify by saying, look, he's a LinkedIn top voice. He must be pretty good. And I've no doubt that I did win an extra few deals because of that. No doubt yeah. about it. And that lasts for about a month or two. <laughs> and yeah. after that, you're back to reality again. And you still have to keep prospecting and working hard. That just doesn't change. No matter what award you get, you yeah. have to keep prospecting and you have to keep working hard. Yeah, you have to keep driving value, right? Oh, 100%. But you have, to, you have to meet people where they're at. You can't just say, look, here's my sales course. Here's why you should buy it. You have to say, look, here are the problems people are having right now in 2023. And here are solutions I recommend or here's something I've done with a client that's worked or even better here's what a client said about me things like that are just much more effective than saying here are my all three of my books here's a link please buy them going back to COVID that was a really mad time I think mm -hmm. anyone that's listened to this podcast I've, I've spoke about some of the times that I had because I, I lost my mum during COVID all this kind of stuff happened and it was one of those things where I think you can either like really get your head in and embrace the change that's going on and do what you've done and go right i need to fix this there's something wrong or kind of you don't you don't move forward do you so it's um yes yeah, it's it's, a, it's really good to see that you've basically um embraced that and and actually challenged it and been vulnerable chris o'connell came on the show i don't know if you know chris o'connell i know chris very well yes good guy yeah, yeah he one of the things he said was like being vulnerable is his best advice for anyone that's struggling with mental health so yeah, it's it's great to see that you've come out of that and gone through the other side really, really strong. Thank you. I think, you know, it's scary because when you want to do great things in life, sometimes you have to go through storms and you really don't think the storm will ever end. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are days you have a pity party for yourself and say, why me? And it's only now, sort of two years later, I look back thinking, thank God I went through that because if I hadn't gone yeah. through that, I couldn't be the person I am today. I couldn't serve people the way I do today. I couldn't help people the way I do today. I just wouldn't have the kindness or the capacity for love I have today if yeah. I hadn't gone through those years of depression, disappointment, failure, setback, not having my voice heard. I totally get it now. And that makes a big difference in the world of business and, of course, how you come across when you speak to people too. 
Yeah, I can completely resonate with all of that. I, I feel like when I moved to, I, I spoke to you previously about going to Manchester for a bit, mm. uh, that was quite like a scary feeling for me because I, I, I left the country that I really loved, like being in Spain, uh, to try something new. And sometimes trying something new can work in your favor or it can work against you. But I really feel like going to Manchester connected me with some really good people. It wasn't my place for the long term. But I found some really great connections. I learned a lot about myself. I hit some pretty low places and came back a lot stronger. So it's, oh yeah, it's, it's, it feels really good and refreshing actually that you've gone through that and you've actually come through a, as a really strong character as well. So amazing. Thank you. So in terms of um, some of the TEDx stuff that you've worked on, because this has been something which has been quite big for you, right? You did your TEDx talk. How's that kind of shaped the way in which you translate your presentations? That's been brilliant because here's the thing. When you do a TEDx, it's very different to normal public speaking. So I get hired to a lot of events to speak about sales or LinkedIn. And by doing that, I will interact with the audience. I'll ask some questions. I'll do loads of q and I really enjoy it and have fun. TEDx is the complete opposite of that. You know, you yeah. have to sit still for 15 minutes. You can't ask questions. You can't move. It is so difficult. I can't tell you. That's why I did it, because I always set myself one big challenge a year that I think is pretty impossible, and I go out to try my best to achieve it. And if I don't achieve it, it's disappointing, but at least if I've learned something, it's okay. Yeah. Um. You know, and I achieved it. But again, I hired a TEDx coach. I studied... Ah, okay. You know, Billyanna Georgie, but she was brilliant. And then my own business coach, I hired him for an hour to say, what else can you improve on? And he was brilliant to give me some, two extra bits of advice. She didn't give. So again, you hire people. I'm always saying to people in sales and business, hire people like me to make your life better because I hire other people to make my life better. And that's what you do. And that's how you improve quickly. I could have spent the next year studying it for free on Google, but what a waste of time that would have been. You know, you hire experts who will take you there faster. And at my age, speed really matters. I have no desire to spend years doing things. It's boring. You you want things done quicker. It was a very tough talk to do because I talked about the power of vulnerability. So I wasn't talking about sales or LinkedIn. It was about how I turned my life around using vulnerability. It was a very difficult talk. I was surprised how nervous I was. Since a TED talk has come out, people have loved it. It didn't take off in the viral sense, which I hope, which I'm a bit disappointed by, in all fairness. However, I got a lot more speaking gigs as a result, which ultimately is what you care about. And more people have seen it and recognized it. So you have the respect factor. And then a few people go, this guy could be really good for an internal conference we're doing or for an external conference we're doing. And so I've picked up, again, some business off it, but not as much as you'd think. There might have also been people that you've helped from that as well that you don't even know about. That's a very good point. I had a lot of people message me privately. Again, the public comments are always lovely. But it's the private ones which really matter. People often pour their hearts out to you saying, I've gone through a really rough time right now. Thank you so much for sharing that. A lot of people reach out to me to say, how do I do a TED Talk? I leave them a 60-second voice note because I haven't got time for these 15-minute meetings a day with strangers. I don't do that because who has time for that? And also meetings rarely last 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> they nearly always last half an hour to four. By the time you research the person, talk to the person, do you know, it's nearly always 30 to 40 minutes. Uh -huh. So I leave a 60-second voice note saying my advice to you is find a TEDx local to you, buy the tickets, don't ask for freebies, buy the tickets, promote the event, meet the organizers in the day, promote the speakers after the event, and become a great person of value.
that's how I got mine because I did that. And the future TEDx people saw that and went, this Neil guy is a good guy. And they came to one of the events. They paid, they bought a ticket to one of the events I was speaking at, which wasn't a ah. TEDx. It was just me speaking about email writing. One of the most dry and dull subjects you could ever talk about. It is. Email writing is hard to make it sexy. This is how yeah. you write email. And he came with that. That was really good. You made email writing interesting. Have you thought of doing a TED talk? I'm like, well, actually I have. And that's how the conversation happened. But, you know, wow. off the tickets, I support the people, I promote the organizers. When you do good things like that consistently, people will notice it. That's really great. That's great advice. Uh, I think that quite a lot of people will one day dream to do something like a TEDx talk. So I think those advice there is really, really good. I just want to take a quick pause. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far, but just wanted to remind you to follow us at The Daily Hustle across Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also check out my digital agency, Circular Digital, where we help e-commerce brands to drive customer acquisition and success online. Let's get back to the show. So let's talk about sales and training. This is like what you're pretty much doing in terms of your coaching. And I guess what's been like the most rewarding part of your career in this kind of sales training kind of side of things? And what's kind of the motivational factor behind what you're doing with that? The most rewarding part is the part that pays the least amount of money. And that's one-to-one coaching. Most coaches say don't do one-to-one coaching because you can't scale and you can't make a lot of money. Having gone through a traumatic divorce, my goal in life isn't to make a lot of money. Money is very important to me, but my goal isn't to scale to seven figures or eight figures a year. My goal is to live a life of purpose. When I do one-to-one coaching and I help people who are struggling with mindset or LinkedIn or they're struggling to make sales for a whole variety of reasons people just struggle to make sales, that is one of the most fulfilling moments of my life. And it happens, I'm so lucky because it happens to me on a weekly basis. Not a, Sometimes three times a week I'll do this, one-to-one coaching, and I'm like, wow, I'm helping people. And they're telling me I'm making a difference. And that is the best part of my job by a mile. Group training is wonderful. It's very well paid, but you don't quite develop the relationships with people. It's harder to get testimonials afterwards. Bigger companies will dump you quicker. They don't really develop relationships with you the way People do it on one-to-one level. And when you want things in the future, Matt, like recommendations or referrals, one-to-one coaching clients give you that. Larger corporates really don't. They just sadly don't. So that's why I love the one-to-one coaching so much. I'll never be a millionaire, and I'm totally okay with that. You know, <laughs> I'll never make six, high six figures. I'm okay with that. But you know what? It's fine. Do work you love. Make a difference to people. Exactly. And, and from there you've coached quite a few different people. What would you say the key qualities are that kind of differentiate an outstanding sales person versus like an average one? The ability to want to learn and improve is huge. I'm constantly yeah. disappointed and amazed at how many SDRs, BDRs, and AEs don't invest in themselves because they lack self-awareness or because they expect the company to pay for it. And these people aren't in terrible salaries, by the way. They're very good salaries, but they just have no self-awareness. And that disappoints me. And they're often the first people to lose their jobs, by the way, as well. And they're often the first people to struggle to find work because they have no self-awareness. I'm always saying to salespeople every day, not once a year, every day you have to be investing in yourself. And every month you should be investing in a coach without failure. doesn't matter if your company pays for it. If your company pays for it, it's a bonus. If your company doesn't pay for it, pay for it yourself. You're earning 50 grand a year. You have no excuse not to spend $500 a month on a coach. You really have no excuse. And that's what they're lacking. And the really successful ones I see invest in themselves 
And the second thing I want to say surprises a lot of people, the really successful people are often very nice as well. They're often the ones who want to help others. They're often surprisingly kind and gracious. People are surprised when I hear that. There's a lot of what I call Tom Hanks, people working in sales, you know, people who are just really friendly, really helpful, really kind. They want others to succeed because movies and TV have given such a horrible impression of salespeople. We think of them as the sleazeballs. And yes, by the way, they are out there. Believe you me, they're out there. But I always look at the glass half full and I see a lot more positivity than negativity out there with people like myself teaching good things. I was in Italy the other day and I met two people that had built and exited companies. One was a digital advertising company. The guy exited after 50, I think he built up a team of 50 people. And the other one was a uh, IT company uh, like in tech. And they basically have built up to 220 people and then he exited there as well. And they both had the exact same advice to me uh, when it comes to like growing your business and from a sales perspective. And it was love your customers, hug them and never give them a reason to leave. I think that's fantastic advice. A lot of people I see deliver the bare minimum to their customers. Yeah. And whenever I'm coaching people, you know, I spend a lot of time listening to client calls and observing demos afterwards. And people really do the bare minimum. I think a lot of people are just doing a job. And a lot of people get into sales because let's be realistic. If you have a job that pays a very nice basic salary and loads of commission and perks, that is very attractive. But the problem is they focus too much on the wrong thing. They focus too much on the perks and the commission and not enough on serving the client. The more you focus on serving the client and helping them and keeping them and upselling to them, and getting referrals from them, the more money you will make. And that's a better way of looking at money rather than thinking, whoa, I'm gonna get all this, well, you know. But again, it's a very common thing I see among young people as well. They look at the perks and go, whoa. And that's not what you should do. Look at the work, look at the joy and fulfillment you'll get from helping other people and serving other people. And it's amazing where your career will take you then afterwards. I really, really agree with that. A lot of salespeople do go wrong in not, I guess, caring. To be a really good salesperson, I think you have to give a big shit. You have to really, really care about what you're offering and understand the value that it drives, right? Oh, yeah. I'll give you a great example. Back in February, I had a client who really wanted to work with me and she didn't have the budget at the time. She had a few personal things going on. I said, you know what? No worries. I'm not going to call you back every week and ask you how you're getting on. She's got some personal stuff right now. What I would like to do is once a week just give you massive value. It can be through content. It can be through my newsletter, whatever you like. Would that be okay? Because it's very important to ask permission. She went, okay. And four months later, she came back to me saying, I'm okay now. Thank you so much for giving me all that value in between. I'm ready. Because I cared, I gave value over those four months, even though she couldn't interact with me or engage with me because she had other things to deal with in her personal life. A lot of the time, people will eventually come to you. That's the importance of value. And most people don't think like this. They just think, oh, the person's not interested, I'll move on. If someone doesn't buy from you at the time, it doesn't mean they're not a customer. It means you haven't done a good enough job understanding their needs. But also, and a lot of people don't really talk about this much in sales, sometimes people are just not ready to buy yet. And it's got more to do with what they're going through in their lives as opposed to you. Or maybe their boss is about to leave the company, but they can't tell you that. Maybe there's an internal restructure about to take place. They cannot tell you that. Maybe they're about to go off on holiday next week. And the last thing in their mind is working with you. <laughs> you know, there's so many other things people are going on in their lives and you you have to take that into consideration yeah i think that a lot actually because like obviously i run circulate which is like a marketing agency 
and you often think to yourself you've been working on like a lead for example for for a month or two and then all of a sudden it just dies out of nowhere and you can't reach them and you think well what happened there <laughs> like but you just don't know do you? <laughs> like a lot of the time i guess you can be ghosted it can happen in sales can't it absolutely but again <laughs> people get ghosted they try once send out an email saying hi hope you're well <sighs> never do that by the way and what are your thoughts my working together what do you th- yeah that's not how you follow up with people who ghost you. yeah you remind them of their challenges you remind them of the solutions you offer and then you say something smart like you know what i understand how fast-paced your industry is right now has anything changed in the last week since we've spoken that is how you chase someone who ghosts you not yeah i hope you're well what are your thoughts that does not work and yet that is what the majority of people do right now there's a lot of challenges in the economic kind of side of things how do you find like salespeople are having to adapt with lots of financial changes in businesses they're having to be more patient which salespeople are not good at and they're having to think long term which again salespeople are not very good at but also a lot of sales leaders i wouldn't even call them leaders but sales managers or sales directors don't understand this and they still hand out these cliched, awful KPIs. You still must make 40 calls a day. You still must make two hours on the phone. And don't get me wrong, metrics are good because metrics can be measured. But you always want quality of time on a phone is always the most important thing when speaking to people. You know, measure effort, see what they're doing. How much time are they spending building their personal brand on LinkedIn? How much time are they spending with the marketing teams working out what value to give this customer? You know, these are important things to be doing while clients are holding off making decisions. Don't forget, I'm a business owner. So whatever experience you're going through right now in sales, I guarantee you I have experienced it very recently or I'm going through it right now. I've become more recession-proof than most people because I've worked in sales 23 years and I'm still now, this is my 29th year in business because the last obviously five and a half years I've had my own business. I'm still investing in myself every day. I still invest in coaches. I still invest in conferences. I invest massively in myself. So as a result, I have a real eye on what's happening in the world right now. And it meant that in 2023, when most salespeople are really struggling, I had five amazing months. I did have a very bad month in June. That was horrible. And in July, it was a struggle, but you know what? I've picked it back up and I'm doing really well again because that's what happens when you're consistent and you give value and you invest in yourself. Yes, you're going to have maybe a bad month here and there, but overall, you're always going to come back fighting and you're always going to come back on top. I think like between June and July has been a really weird time. Everyone in the industry that I work in has basically posted the same thing. It's like basically dead. So we, we've seen we've seen a lot of interesting trends happening, but we again for us is picked up towards um, mid July again, like what you've mentioned. I think with things work in waves. It's really important, I guess, when it's a bit calm to do what you said, really focus on the stuff which you can control. True. When things are quiet, you can't control people making faster decisions. What you can do is give more massive value to them. What you can't do is listen more. What you can do is say, "How can I best support you right now?" What you can do is read more books. You can go on more courses. There's so many things you can be doing. And I'm so glad I didn't take my foot off the accelerator because the business I got towards the end of July, I mean, in all fairness, it was a relief. <laughs> but even though it was a relief, it's because I kept going and I kept persisting and I kept showing up, even on days I didn't want to. And again, that's what a salesperson does. The average or above average one gives up or blames the economy or will take an extra hour for lunch to what netflix i don't i keep going i think as well that's like quite a trait of a business owner as well because like 
if you look at like a lot of salespeople, they're going to have their their base salary, right? And the commission on top. Whereas like for people like yourself and I, I guess like we have to like make it work because if it, we don't have the base stuff, like if it goes... You have no choice to make things work. You just make it work. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, it does give you that extra incentive. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I, I was in Italy last week and I was sending contracts just because, you know, it's got to be done, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Can't slow down. So in terms of like, I think like what we're just referring to there as well is like it can get quite stressful. But what's like your biggest advice you could give to someone in managing stress? There's a number of ways. I More importantly, that I've managed stress, but more importantly, I help people every day manage stress. I do. And the first thing anybody does is before working with me is I ask them, do you have a vision board? Because having a vision board really helps you manage stress. I also ask them about their morning and evening routines because most people have terrible habits and routines. And our first session is never on sales. It's never on LinkedIn. It's on you. Because unless you're right, it doesn't matter what I teach. You're not going to learn anything if you're a mess. And often when I do that, I discovered unresolved trauma with people. Quite often past relationships. Quite often they're going through divorces. Quite often they're child custody. But there's all kinds of battles people have. They don't talk about publicly. But I need to often know these things because they do affect your work. And they do show up sometimes in unexpected ways. And they're not good ways. So I spend the first session talking about you and unresolving that. So I always say, also have a vision board have good morning routines, have good evening routines, uh, turn your phone off at least twice a day or put it vibrate if your mobile phone is your main point of contact. I have my phone off at lunchtime today for half an hour on airplane mode. No one could contact me. I had lunch with my partner for 15 minutes and I sat down for 15 minutes. In all fairness, five minutes of it was meditation and 10 minutes of it was a nap, <laughs> but still um, it was turning off. And that means I come back in the afternoon fully charged. I got another two hours to go. I've done two coaching sessions today and Instagram, my first ever Instagram live in about five years. I then had to do a proposal for a client. I'm speaking to you in the podcast now. I have a coaching session in New York straight after this. Then I have to go to the gym because I've got to take care of my health. Then I have to go to the sauna because at my age, your muscles get wrecked. But again, the sauna is very good. It's followed by a cold shower, which is horrible. Then a sauna, then a cold shower. I'll come home, have a really nice meal tonight, and then go back to work again. But for me, that's a brilliant 12-hour day because I've been to the gym. I've had a 10-minute nap in between. I'm going to at the gym and listen to my rock music, which gives me tremendous joy. My phone's off twice a day. So these are all little things. People are often looking for one big solution, Matt. And it's not often one big solution. It's often a small number of things you do. So yeah. please turn your phone off twice a day. That's a really good bit of advice. I think the nap as well, wow. Like, obviously, everyone's going to laugh because I'm based in Spain and that's what they think everyone does. <laughs> Just taking a nap at lunch. But there's genuinely, I think, I never really fully understood the siesta until I moved here and realized how hot it gets. <laughs> and then I was like, well, fair play. They actually do need a bit of time out of the sun. But yeah, I, the the nap thing really works. Like 20 minutes out, back in, and you're, you're back on game. But 20 minutes with your phone off in peace and quiet, that's what it has to be. Yeah. If you spend 20 minutes lying down, you're looking at your phone, you're not resting at all. You know, people are addicted to their mobile phones in a dangerous way right now. And they have been for quite some time, but it's really, I'm seeing the effects of it now greater. Because, you know, we had lockdown two years ago. People are still traumatized because we're addicted to our phones. Our phones have become our best friends in many cases. And that's not a healthy place to be. No, I get it. 
And I think that's really the point I was kind of wanting to get to is building the processes, isn't it? So that you're you're repeating it every day. So you know that you're going through every day and you're going to focus on these key key actions, I guess. Oh, yeah. It, it has to be actionable. You know, yeah. everything. You have to put these habits into place. It's one of the most important things you can do. Don't talk about doing things. Do them. And put it in your diary and make it recurring. My diary, 7 a.m. every morning, soya flat white, nature walk. These habits sort of set you up for success. And salespeople have terrible habits. As soon as they spend all morning on Zoom, what are they doing? They're on their phone over lunch looking at social media apps. Or It's not good for your mental health. You've got to be having breaks. No, I completely get it. It's, it's funny you say that as well because like, I think for the last couple of months, I've actually done exactly what you've done. I've put into my calendar waking up at 6 o'clock in the morning. 6 till like 7 is like daily planning. Seven till eight is like morning exercise. And I usually go for like a run. And then I come home, get ready, go to work by nine o'clock. And then it's like high impact tasks. And when you build the routine and the structure around it, it becomes a lot easier to follow until you go to Italy and then you just everything falls to pieces, <laughs> which is me last week. <laughs> yeah, it amazes me how Italians stay as skinny as they do because pasta is Moorish. So one of the things I'm keen to understand is what's like your biggest, most effective technique for retaining customers? Uh, in terms of retention planning, I offer little extras for my clients that, again, they often tell me nobody else has done before. So I know my clients' birthdays. I get birthday cards in the post. Now, it might sound very old-fashioned, which it is. It's a fantastic way. To, by the way, notice I didn't say I send them presents. They care about the presents. They care about the birthday card. The fact I've handwritten something put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it. I've had to find a post box, which is about five minutes away to put, you know, it takes so much effort. But simple things like that, people never forget. Quite often, I'll give extra value to a client in terms of my time. So if we have a one-hour session booked in, I'll say, look, we've gone over a bit. Are you okay if I keep giving you value for five or 10 minutes? I don't say, can we talk? I say, can I keep giving you value? That helps. Quite often with a client, I'll say, you know what? I read this article online today. I just wanted to share it with you. I thought it would be really valuable for someone in your sector right now. Oh, by the way, I subscribed to your competitor's website. I'm sure you're on it, but here's what your competitors are up to. I'm surprised the number of my clients who don't subscribe to their competition's website. I do, so I can stay ahead of the game. And it means I stay on top of what's happening in cybersecurity, in retail, in software, in SaaS, constantly reading information saying, I'm sure you've seen this, but here, I just think you should read. Oh, by the way, here's a podcast I listened to a few months ago to all my clients. And again, it wasn't a mass email. It was individual to my best clients saying, Simon Sinek, one of my favorite ever TEDx speakers, brilliant book, has appeared in Stephen Bartlett's podcast, Diary of a CEO. It is the most powerful interview I've ever heard in my life. I've had to listen to it a second time and I'm blown away. Let me know what you think. And almost every single person came back to me saying, thank you. And many of them, a week later, two weeks later, said, oh my God, that was incredible. And all of a sudden, you're bonding with your clients at a different level because you're giving them something that's of value to them. Notice you're not upselling to them. You're not trying to get more money off them. You're just being a person of value. Because I guarantee you, all my competition are doing is saying, hi, I'm an award-winning sales trainer. <laughs> I do this, 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 and do some boring feature-led LinkedIn DM to them or some pointless sales emails saying, hi, I hope you're well. I'm an award-winning sales trainer. Would you like to work with? Because a lot of my clients show me these emails and they're all the same from almost every single person. I'm like, God, these are terrible. So being ahead isn't as difficult as you think, but it's really important to stand out and do that. And I really go over and above. I had a client who was on holiday with her family last month 
in Northern Ireland. And where she wanted to meet was an hour and a half from my house. I thought, I really want to go an hour and a half to meet a client's three-hour trip. And I said, you know what? I do date night with my girlfriend once a week. How about I bring her along for date night with your family? And we'll have a nice evening out in Belfast. And we had an amazing time. And that was a great time. And again, we fought over the bill for five minutes. I let her pay for it. (laughs) But but we fought over it. It was quite embarrassing. Um, I could have just said, look, it's an hour and a half. No, thank you. Saturday night's my private time. I could easily have said that. I thought, you know what, it could be a nice change. So again, it's going over and above the call of duty to help people. I find like when you're quite a small business like ours, for example, like 10, 12 people, you can build very good relationships. As you start to become like hundreds of people, you have to be really on top of it to do that because you're really speaking to a lot more people, developing a lot more relationships. And what would you say the biggest difference is between like a smaller business and a a bigger business, sorry, in the way in which you manage relationships? In a smaller business, it's very easy. You focus on the main person and maybe a second person and a third person very easily. In a bigger business, it's much more difficult. A mistake I see people making in bigger businesses, well, I want to sound too cold about it, is they associate with too many lower level people. And when you work in any bigger business, there's often a final decision maker, which sometimes you can reach, but quite often you can't, Matt. So what I do is I'll have to speak to a lot of influencers involved in the decision-making process in the time being. It's very, it's hard work and it's time consuming. But like I said, I've kind of slowly moved away just in the last six months, moved away from larger corporates. If they come to me, fantastic. I don't chase after them because what I find is you spend several months speaking to them. They hire you for one day of sales training, which is like anywhere from 5,000 to 5,500 euros. But you spend six months talking to them. <laughs> then you do the day's work, like, is this it? You know, it's just not valuable enough to me. Whereas a one-to-one coaching, I only have to have a chat for half an hour with somebody. And they're my client. It's so quick. Because one-to-one coaching, they've often followed you for a long time. They value your input. And they become clients much quicker. It's much easier to get cash flow in a business doing one-to-one and work with small businesses. So many people are chasing the big players realize it takes months and months and months to get it. And even when you secure it and you get paid a lot of money for a day or two, you've got to think, well, all that effort I put into it was it worth it. And not a lot of people ask those questions. No, it's cool because I've got I've got one client which I, I talk to quite a lot. He's called Liam. And um, I just have so much fun chatting to him. Honestly, we're sending each other like WhatsApp voice messages and stuff. He's, he's big into his golf. We both like motorbikes. So I think that's like such a better an authentic way of like building business with people. It's just having that fundamental relationship where you can be more open and transparent. If something's not right, then you can talk about it. And if it's going great, then great. You can talk about that too over a beer. It's it's always fun. <laughs> I agree, hundred percent. So we are almost at the end of the show. We always end with one final question, and that final question is: What is the best bit of advice you've ever received? Never stop investing yourself and becoming self-aware. Because we live in a world right now, middle of 2023, people lack so much self-awareness. It's shocking. Being self-aware in the decisions you make, being self-aware in how you treat others, and being self-aware in the good and especially the bad habits you have. But that overall comes down to invest in yourself every single day. It's one of the best decisions you will ever make long term. Well, thank you so much. And um, in terms of how people can follow you, how can they follow you online? LinkedIn is always the best way to get hold of me. Even better, send me a personalized invite on LinkedIn telling me you've heard me on your podcast because yeah. I like to say things like that and see how many people actually do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, send me a personalized invite. Tell me you've heard me on Matt Daly's Daily Hustle podcast. 
that would be awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've had a really great time chatting to you and picking your brains on lots of, of sales related stuff. But also it's been really interesting to understand your COVID journey as well, because I really resonate with that and I appreciate you being open. So until next time, guys, thank you very much and see you in the next episode. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you so much for coming back and listening to another episode of the Daily Hustle podcast. If you loved this episode, please don't forget to follow us across our social media at the Daily Hustle official. And if you really love this show, then just press that little bell and get notified every time we release an episode. See you next time.